Well, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good middle of the night to you and all that kind of stuff. It's just gone 3pm US East Coast time. It's just gone 8pm here in the UK. It's Thursday. It's Thursday the 23rd of November. It's Thanksgiving Day. Welcome to the show. suppose everybody's going to be busy Thanksgiving. Well, certainly in America they are, and why not? Turns out November's quite a month, you know. I was just thinking back to some of the things we've covered already. There's still a few days left to go. Thanksgiving. What is it all about? I guess it's all about giving thanks, really. Um, it must be. And uh, <sighs> It's always been a, a bit of a mystery, I suppose, to people over here on this side of the pond. It shouldn't be, should it? Because um, back in... Um, oh, hang on, goes and checks calendar. Back in November of 1621, so that's just over... 400 years ago obviously 2021 during covid would have been the 400th anniversary of all that little lot <clears throat> but back in november of 1621 those hardy souls that had sailed from plymouth in england uh in the middle of that year i think they set off a little bit later um finally arrived after a long uh, a long voyage um, and a voyage in which they were blown off course, I think, quite a few times because they encountered pretty bad weather getting across there in October. So it took a little bit longer than it normally should have done. Um, they finally arrived um, in the States. And, uh, of course, it probably wasn't called the States back then, was it? I don't know what it was called. But they arrived there and uh, at Plymouth Rock. 
named, obviously, after Plymouth in the UK, or Britain, as it was known at the time. And uh, maybe I've got my dates wrong, actually. Maybe the Thanksgiving was given a year after they arrived. So uh, those super knowledgeable people amongst us who know about these things, you can call in and uh, and berate me and say, Paul, you muddle-headed English idiot. You've got it completely wrong. But I think it was 1621, at least, that the first Thanksgiving was given um, for you know their safe passage across the oceans and, and certain things like that. Although I know they encountered an awful lot of problems growing crops, were helped out by some Indians. You can see my, my knowledge of this uh, period is quite sketchy. And in fact, plunging into the 17th century, as we have been doing, um, not by design at all, although John D was 16th century, wasn't he? 007, a few weeks ago. <clears throat> um, but it's kind of exposed uh, a lot of uh, little holes in my knowledge. Not that, uh, Not that they're looking for historical experts these days to tell everybody about the 17th century are they um but who knows so to all of you americans who are not listening today um because you won't be i can't imagine that you are i mean maybe you are who knows um to all of you uh what do i say a happy thanksgiving i think it is and i think it's a very valuable and worthwhile thing Uh, what a ridiculous thing to say um it's symbolic of all sorts of things as well i think I mean, at the time, the uh, the pilgrims were, what, escaping religious persecution. Something that we're trying to escape now, isn't it? Well, not necessarily religious persecution, but persecution by our governments, that sort of thing, you know? So um, it's been um, quite, a, quite a to-do over the... Um, over the past couple of years, and it was certainly quite a to-do 400 years ago during that particular century. Anyway, you're listening to Paul English Live here at paulenglishlive.com. I'm with you every Thursday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. UK time, currently 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. That's U.S. Eastern time for those American types who are not doing Thanksgiving and a sad day listening to me, or maybe you're doing both. Actually, last week, I think I mentioned wrongly and muddle-headedly that I was under the impression that um, Americans just ploughed through turkeys for nearly a month, starting today, um, November the... <laughs> this this last but one Thursday of November, right through to, well, obviously the Christmas period. It turns out that an angry and irate listener contacted me to correct my muddled thinking and said, no, 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 we don't we don't eat all the turkeys. I think maybe, I don't know what's synonymous with what, but uh, I should imagine quite a few are getting eaten today. And I think it would be other things maybe at Christmas, over the Christmas period. But it's quite a month, isn't it, for you lot over there? Um, and that's maybe, I suppose, historically, why the English have not paid too much attention to it, simply because most of their minds are on... The Christmas period, even now, dreadfully, of course, these uh, these commercial cycles start way too early. You've probably noticed that. And the, um, the Christmas decorations and all this other gubbins goes up far, far too early, purely to, you know, drum up commercial activity, which I guess it's pretty successful at. And here we are on this Thursday, some 402 years since they arrived in Plymouth. And um, now we are completely overwhelmed with commercial bleh. And uh, I should imagine it's probably maybe even worse in the States. Uh, we've now had the advent, of course, of this new day, which is tomorrow, which I suppose a lot of people are apoplectic with excitement about, which is the um, the arrival of um, 
Black Friday. Now, there's probably a lot of wrong jokes that could be made about that. <coughs> but, um, and I was aware, I've actually been uh, told by two people this week what Black Friday means, but I did kind of know anyway, but it was nice to have them tell me. But it's that point in the year, and maybe it's true over here for uh, for traders in the UK too, it's assumed to be the point of the year and probably is for many businesses, when financially, in terms of their revenues and expenditures and all this, that and the other, they come out of the red on the accounts book, i.e. in debt, and their business finally is in profits, i.e. goes into the black. And, uh, you know, I never knew quite what it was. Anyway, it's become a thing over here too, but I suspect that's really because of the internet more than anything else. Um, really probably because of the internet. We're going out live here on WBN324.com. Although for you uh, listeners in the UK, you can't actually get WBN324.com due to uh, geo-barring. There's all sorts of little things coming up. Lots of fun and games coming up for us on the internet, I think, over the next period. I suppose we've been able to say that for the last 20-odd years, really. But uh, WBN324.com, WBN324.zil, Z-I-L, which is easily accessible if you've got an Opera browser. That should bring up the .zil site and away you go. And there are other ways to do it. You may need to get a VPN if you want to listen to it through there. But you can also catch it on Freefall Radio South Africa. And the links to... um, the links to listening can be found on the homepage at paulenglishlive.com. So hopefully, you know, you're well, you're listening, aren't you? And just to let you know, we've uh, I finally also got on Odyssey. Odyssey's been a bit um, playing up <coughs> over the past few weeks. In fact, it wouldn't let me post the um, the recordings of the shows, which was uh, had been a bit much, really. Um, and um, oh, hang on, I've got somebody. I've got somebody calling me already into the thing. So if you just hold on a second, Brian, and I'll just, uh, if you just hang on for a tick, I've just got a couple of things I wanted to go through. Uh, one of which is probably to announce to you all how you can call in. Um, so if you want to come in over the internet, if you go to uh, paulenglishlive.com, in fact, I'd better put the thing up in a second or two, hadn't I? I'd probably better do that. Um, so if you go to, um, whoops, let me just, how does that work? See? You don't want to hear this, do you? Uh, if you go to paulenglishlive.com, you uh, forward slash call, C-A-L-L, paulenglishlive.com forward slash call, you'll come through to the online studio where I can patch you into the show, which is groovy. And if you can't do that, you can come in on telephone numbers, which I'm trying to bring up on the screen. Oh, I have done it. Look at that. How intelligent am I? Well, barely. So... Um, yeah, the telephone numbers are, if you want to use phone, and phone's fine. Am I geared up for phone? Yes, I am. I am geared up for the phone. Just a minute. Let me just, I better just put that on too, actually. You know, I want to give Thanksgiving for having two arms that are beginning to slowly work to run and manage this show. But there we go. Hang on. Let me just make sure that everything's working there. Yes, it is. That's cool. So, if you if you want to call in by telephone, if you're in the States, it's area code 605 313-5866. That's 605-313-5866. If you're in the UK, it's 0330-390-2135. How about that? You have to enter an access code, 566699. There will be a, a quiz at the end of it. There'll be a, an exam at the end of this to make sure you can remember all these numbers. But if you're viewing this on Rumble right now, 
um, you can see the numbers running across the top of the screen. And it says stream starting, which is a bit embarrassing. I've got to get rid of that. I don't know how to do it. By the way, if you're on Rumble, you will have seen a picture of a ship. That is the Mayflower. It's rather a beautiful little painting, actually. I, I, uh, I came across that the other day. And um, <coughs> so there you go. It's just uh, not that this is necessarily a Thanksgiving Day themed show, although anybody that calls in, of course, can twist it that way and send it all over the shop with that stuff. But um, uh, there we go. Let me read those numbers out for you again. 605-313-5866 in America. That's 605-313-5866. If you're in the UK, 330 2135 and as i said you have to enter a little code five triple six triple nine which is as lovely a code as i could think of and one more time if you want to come in over the internet it's paulenglishlive.com forward slash call um so rumbles the place rumbles the one where i'm going to try and look at the chat as best as i can and um sound is fine on rumble apologies by the way for last week um some of you will have come in and gone, good grief, there's no sound for the first 14 minutes. And I did put a note to that effect on the video, um, which was on Rumble, um, and have avoided that rather serious error. It's about as serious as you get when you're doing radio, isn't it? It's pretty bad. So there we go. Um, before I bring Brian in, I'm just saying that so that Brian can hear me. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to just talk about November as well. There's another theme. There's a theme really that's for me, I suppose, slightly more important than than Thanksgiving Day. I'm not trying to sort of belittle it at all. I think it's great that that's going on. And it is, as I said, part of the last... Well, it is. Is it not the last great movement of white European people northwards and westwards 400 years ago? And, of course, we, we might not think of ourselves as a people that have done that, but we have, to a great degree, coming out of the Middle East, a lot of us are out of that part of the world, up through the Caucasus some 2,000 years ago, which, of course, is an area of uh, hot debate among certain people who go and poo-poo that as an idea. But uh, it's not really an idea. It's, uh, it would make for quite a meaty conversation because there's a lot of archaeological evidence to back that up. But the theme of tonight's show is not really about that unless it gets, as I said, sent off in that direction. The other important event... The one um, that I'll come back to, I think, reference, I've got a couple of clips, is the event that took place uh, in November in 1963 in the States, which was the assassination of John F. Kennedy at Dealey Plaza. And uh, I was um, three and a half at the time, so I have to tell you, I don't really recollect it very well. And I think we probably did have a television in the house, but it would have been minute. Actually, we might not have. 1963, we certainly had a radio. Um, but the the lasting memory I have of that really is the memory that came to me from my parents and my aunties and uncles. Okay, so we're English. He's not our prime minister or president. But that sent a shockwave through the world. And I remember sort of feeling that emotionally when I was five or six, because as a topic, it would come up regularly around meal tables or when we got together on a Sunday afternoon. This is in the 60s, long time ago, 1960s. I'm a little lad running around chairs and everything. But I do remember a sort of look of a slight look of anguish and uh, crestfallenness, as it were, that used to come across my mum and dad's face. It was a tragic, tragic event. It's a lot more than that, of course. And maybe, although this is grasping at straws, I suppose, one could say that the events of November 
And we must probably pay attention to that too. You know how they like their dates. These are the people, our erstwhile masters and controllers. They love their dates and their numbers. How about, you know, the situation that you have right now? One day you are acknowledging the assassination of JFK and the next day you're giving thanksgiving. It's as if the idea of the buoyancy and celebrations that go with thanksgiving, understandably, are to be neutered by this deadly shadow that has been cast across it. And uh, maybe I'm just making stuff up. I probably am. I do it all the time. But it has dawned on me that uh, you know how they like to effectively bully people's emotions and suppress you and and uh, move you around in those particular ways. What What better way than to blow the president's head off live in public in, in the middle of a motorcade? And it is still a horrific uh, event. And I suppose it has more emotional resonance than other events where even a lot, lot more people have died for the simple reason that he was viewed as a charismatic man who could communicate and was doing the right things in the right spirit for America. It was as if that buoyancy that America had enjoyed um, for most of its history, in the well, that's not true, I suppose. <laughs> There's lots of calamities. But certainly from my, my point of view, looking at America in the 50s and after the war, of course, it was the place that came out on top. If any nation... Uh, uh, came through World War II well and was mass- its power was massively improved, of course, and increased, I should say, then, of course, it was America. So we all tended to view it as this place, uh, as it was promoted, I guess, worldwide, as the land of honey and happiness, and it was that. And yet, here's this young president, very young, uh, 40s, wasn't he, or something like that, and he's killed in that particular way. And, of course, it has been the font for gazillions of conspiracy theories and uh, uh what did i want to do i actually wanted to play you a clip from him i did so i'm going to just hold on you'll know this everybody knows this but i just want to play this this is this is indicative of so many things just this is from a speech he made about one year prior it's the very famous speech you can find it online it's about 20 minutes long about conspiracies within the government. He's addressing a press club, and it's a very witty, particularly in the early stage, very witty and charming speech, but it's also pointed. This is just a very short extract, about a minute. I just want to play this for you. Here we go. Oh, you know, if I play it... Whoops, hang on just a minute. What I should do is, if I'm going to play it... I do this every week, don't I? It's very silly. I, um, uh, I end up not giving any volume to the clip which is rather embarrassing and stupid where's the little old volume thing there we go let's listen to it properly this is jfk from i think 1962 it would be about a year or so before he was before he was assassinated the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society and we are as a people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, There is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation 
if our traditions do not survive with it. It's an excellent speech, and uh, the thing that will what always strikes me is that we don't hear anything like that these days. Nothing. Not a thing. No communication of any real depth or quality or addressing the really the key issues. Of course, we haven't heard anything for donkey's years, have we, with all this kind of stuff? Let me just... Uh, I can see that the call room is filling up with Americans who are obviously having a rather challenging Thanksgiving day. I'm being teasy here. Let me just add Brian. And we've also got Paul here as well. Brian, hello. Good afternoon, I assume. It must be afternoon for you. Welcome to the show. Uh, yes. How are you doing? I'm I'm bumbling along in, in, a, in an English space where it's dark and uh, it's actually a beautiful evening here. Lovely, clear sky. Winter skies are great, or the late autumn skies. And, uh, yeah, just been spending the afternoon thinking about Thanksgiving Day. Not not a great deal, of course, as you can tell. I'm, I'm My uh, knowledge of it is rather scanty, as I said. It, and as I was looking at it, it struck me how odd it was that uh, the English, because, you know, obviously everybody on the first boat came from here. D- don't really, It doesn't really figure too much in the national sort of psyche over here. And yet it's a very important event for all sorts of reasons. So there was that. And then... Obviously, JFK. How are you doing? I mean, I thought, aren't you supposed to be sitting around eating huge quantities of food or something? Isn't that what goes on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm staying home today. Yes. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, what I wanted to bring up, as you mentioned, you've been doing a lot of shows on the 17th century. Yes. And the most important date in the 17th century is 666. And you'll notice a lot of sixes in there, and you know how the dark like to use those numerology. Mm-hmm. And the, the significance on that day is that's the day Rabbi Shabbat and Zivi um, declared that he was the coming of Christ. And yes, <laughs> he you, did. You're aware of that. Okay, oh, I, well, I know quite about him and the Sabbatean Frankists. Yes, it's, uh, okay. it, it's quite a period, yes. Yes, I do, well, Brian. But please, go on. Go on. It's good. Yeah. What else you got then was something called Sestu QV. It was heralding his coming. The London Fire was heralding his coming. There was some plague uh, that year that was heralding his coming. That was for all of his, you know, Satanist followers so that they could see that the Antichrist was, was coming. And that's basically what they were uh, uh trying to have show up and i think they did a good job of it <laughs> so yeah. anyway uh, yeah so anyway that's what i wanted to bring up no it's a good one he was from smyrna wasn't he and they decided that uh, he was going to be he said yes i am the new messiah but there's also although i don't have any texts in front of me Uh, The ties to London are considerable because Cromwell, who was obviously running around at the time, having um, acquired a lot of money from certain people in Amsterdam with which to build his army, with which to bring about the so-called English Civil War, with which the king lost his head and regicide was committed, blah, 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 blah. The Jewish people of the world were... Apparently, there was a kind of quiz show. Who should be the new Messiah? Is it going to be? I'm quite serious, by the way. Is it going to be uh, Sabotai V from Schmerner? Yeah, nice man. Uh, or is it going to be Oliver Cromwell? 
And Cromwell was on the list because he had uh, allowed the readmittance of the Jewish people back into England, them having been expelled under Edward I, Longshanks, in 1291 or 1292. Someone can call in and say, you've got your dates wrong, but it's 1290-ish, so that's it. it. You know, it's quite a long time ago. And so because of that, because of their re-establishment within England, they were thinking, well, we'll make Cromwell the... <laughs> Cromwell can be the Messiah. He probably would have liked that, although he was a bit deranged. Yeah, I don't know what he had at the time, but probably the equivalent of a modern-day psychiatrist. He he was not a well man and um, uh, in all sorts of ways, and he did think of himself as an Old Testamentarian, but I would suggest in completely the wrong way. Um, so I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of Cromwell, but of course people were not necessarily a fan of Charles I at the time and the king. There was a, there was a fight going on, you know, this acquisition of power. But um, yes, Jvi was quite a character and then he was followed by um, Frank, wasn't he? Uh, Jacob yes. Frank. Um, Jacob Frank, yes. That's right. <laughs> who amplified Zvi's insane teachings. And uh, for listeners that are not aware of Zvi's insane teachings, they ran along the lines of, um, how have I got it in my head? It goes something like this, <laughs> that God had made a mistake, <laughs> which is quite, quite cute of them. God had made a mistake because obviously they weren't running the world, you see, and they thought they ought to be. So the idea was to break every single commandment and law and to set up a cult literally that was going to break all the laws to so enrage god that he would come down and destroy the current order and rearrange it properly according to zvi and his acolytes and this was very popular he had over a million followers i believe in in and around smyrna which is i think a part of turkey today or maybe still is you know or was and still is i don't know i don't know if you're aware of that brian no are you aware of where the 666 comes from? You 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 tell our listeners. Go on. Fire away. Okay. If you look at the formation of a star or a, a world, let's say a planet, through the Hubble spacecraft, mm -hmm. it looks like three sixes superimposed on one another. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> There's even a, a, a UN headquarters in Africa that if you look at it from an aerial view, it looks like three sixes superimposed on one another. And uh, evil energy is linear. Divine energy is circular. That's why you see a circle with uh, three sixes when the divine is making the planet. Well, what they're doing is they're putting the three sixes on a linear line and making it evil so it's their way of showing that they've taken over our world yeah they like to do things like that don't they there's a lot of that <laughs> there's a lot of that going on what's that little phrase um that symbolism will be their downfall of course it's currently not i suppose their downfall to some degree because a lot of people are not fully familiar with symbolic language and what it means uh, and yet it is a key. It is a key to this sort of secondary, these allegorical meanings and the and the real intent of certain communications is encapsulated in their use of symbolism. So that's very it, interesting what you say. It's like the swastika. The original swastika, the base of it is parallel to the ground. And that was the way it was when Hitler started out, the Thule's society. And then when the dark took over national socialism, you notice the swastika gets cockeyed, okay? It's no mm -hmm. longer 
the base parallel to the ground. It's, it's offset. And that's showing that we've taken this over. Because originally, if you study Hitler and his movement, they were the light. They were doing wonderful things. But behind the scenes, they had people that were undermining everything he was doing and taking it over and turning it into something dark. It's That's like today that, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's very interesting what you say about the position. I'm going to have to go on. If you've got any references on that, I'd be interested in looking into that. that you, I haven't heard that know. one before. That's quite interesting. Yeah. You, you won't find it. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like today. Are you familiar with the rainbow flag for... for uh, now, look, this is LG. a family show, Brian. I don't want you dragging it down well, into the mire. <laughs> no, I, I, it, it won't. Okay. Have, okay. have you looked at... If you look at the uh, rainbow flag, it's been taken over. You can tell it's it's uh, screwed up because if you know anything about doing kundalini yoga, chakra dhyana, your chakras, your first chakra where you sit on the bottom is red. And then it goes red, orange, yellow, green, blue <coughs> on up. And what you're really looking at when you see a rainbow, you're looking at Gaia's chakras. You know, you're, you're actually looking at a divine being, which is this planet or chakras. Well, the, the rainbow flag is opposite. The top color is red. So they're showing that they've taken it over. They've screwed it up. Yes. They like to do those sorts of things, don't they? You know, it's hard to keep up with it all, isn't it? You have to devote your life to reading their secret languages. And then I still think, yeah, but I've still got to go and do the washing up. It's um, One's always dragged back to reality after sort of zooming around in these spaces. But it is important. I think that century, you know, I haven't done anything on the fire. You mentioned the fire of London. And, of course, the whole of the city of London was redesigned along Masonic grid lines and all sorts of other things after that. So, and it's... It's a very interesting, what a stupid thing to say. It's a, it is an extremely arresting sort of center. There's so much that goes on. I was, you know, when I was just looking at these things, uh, you know, Guy Fawkes, we had bonfire night, as it were, taking place in November. Um, we've got Thanksgiving in November. We've got the assassination of JFK. I suppose you could find masses of tremendous events and coincidences in all sorts of months because you know the world's been kicking around for quite a while but that century is it is uh, uh, it's a, it's pivotal in many ways i i've kind of tried to focus in a personal way on things that have happened from henry the eighth onwards um in this uh, with here because it's to do you know the so-called reformation is part of this i would suggest part of the opening wave of the attack and undermining uh, Western Christian culture. Not that it was all good. I accept that too. And that you can see that there are frictions between our own people all over the place. But certainly other parties have taken great advantage of that. Just stay there for a second, Brian. I'm going to introduce Paul um, because he's here in the call. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you on this fine, I'm assuming it's fine, Thanksgiving day? Uh, well, it's very, very good upstate New York. It's a little chilly, but of course I don't have to go outside. I had my Thanksgiving meal delivered. <laughs> so, you had it so delivered? What, did, what was it? Should we not ask? Is it too worrying for you to mention on air what's going on? <laughs> oh, 
No, it was it was a traditional Thanksgiving feast with uh, white meat turkey, um, pumpkin pie, corn, uh, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, the whole the whole nine. It, it worked out beautifully. Wow. Maybe one day and it was actually delivered. Yeah, maybe one day I'll be an American and can have a Thanksgiving dinner. I, people keep threatening all these sorts of things, but of course it's very difficult to move around the planet right now, and I'm not too keen to even try. To be quite honest with you, but uh, yeah, and does this is everywhere in the states basically running at half beat? Is everything or is it like a? It's obviously a national public holiday. It must be. Is everything sort of closed? The banks closed? That kind of thing. Yeah, I do, I do believe that the banks are closed, and at least one Walmart I know of is closed. Oh, However, yeah, the Kroger dreadful. grocery chain is open. Today. It's the end of life as we know um, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. Just okay, I promise yeah. not to sing ever again. Okay. What do you mean? That's fine. You can sing, you can sing forever and ever again. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to take it. It's half an hour in. I've got a little song that's kind of old-fashioned-y. Listen, the, the Pilgrims wouldn't have listened to this because obviously it wasn't written, but it's kind of got those echoes of English folky stuff. Okay, and I'll tell you what it is afterwards. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. 
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners, partners, and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN324 Talk Radio. Hi and welcome back. We've just gone ooh, 38 minutes past, so my timekeeping's terrible. I don't do bottom of the hours and things like that. I kind of mess it all up and get it wrong, but uh, I just wanted to throw that song in because I stumbled across it today and I'd never heard it before in my life and I just thought, well, that sounds a bit sort of guitar-y and folky and things like that. That's a group called Pentangle. You ever heard that before, chaps? You ever heard that one? No, it actually sounded kind of Celtic womanish, kind of. It did, didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it just? Yeah. Anyway, it kind of just made me think of the sorts of, I don't know, it's just obviously harking back to an older form anyway. Now, um, before you joined in and everything, I was just mentioning briefly, obviously we've got loads of different threads going on today. By the way, it is a smorgasbord today. I've been sort of thinking about the fact that, well, Thanksgiving, everybody's just going to be full of turkey and stuff, and it kind of seemed to rub off on me. But uh, the JFK thing, um, Jeff Rens was talking about it yesterday. And um, I just wanted to, this is just a little clip. It's about a minute and a half. Here's what he was talking about yesterday. Today, for you young people, was the day that John F. Kennedy was murdered in broad daylight. It was done intentionally uh, to make an example to anyone else who dare stepped out of line. It was essentially a Mossad CIA operation. Lee Harvey Oswald didn't do it. He was a patsy. I'm just touching very briefly on a couple of things here. But what John Kennedy did was stand up on the world stage, for example, to Israel and said, you will allow inspections at your nuclear research facility, Demona, because we are not going to allow you to have nuclear weapons. We're going to keep it capped here between the Soviet Union and America. We don't want it proliferating all over the world. And President Ben-Gurion said, no, we're not, we're not going to abide by that. We're not going to let you inspect. And then they set up a fake uh, inspection of Demona. And anyway, Kennedy really had America at his, at his heart. He, he cared about this country like no other president since. No other president. And when they killed him, they killed a lot of the soul of this country. It was was truly a loss that cannot be replaced, ever. Well, um, as Americans, Mm -hmm. what what do you make of that kind of sentiment or thought? Do you think there's much truth in that? Do you think it was killed off in 1963? Um, Well, most assuredly. But I don't know if it was because of his uh, secret society speech. That happened a year before. There was plenty of opportunity for him to be taken out between between that speech and when he actually died. However, uh, <clears throat> I did have something come to my attention a couple of days ago that uh, Kennedy had written. He had their control structure. 
It would have completely eliminated their ability to keep us impoverished, to foment wars and harvest the planet globally. Is it a speech that you've and seen or is it just something that, that you've heard of, Paul? It was written on three by five index cards yeah. and written in his own hand. And um, it essentially was about the truth behind the UFO crash sites in New Mexico and that the government was actually in contact with UFOs that were absolutely no threat to us, that were ready to step in and to provide technology support and everything this planet would need to thrive. And I believe that they did that, that if there are aliens, I don't want this to go on an alien bent, but if there are aliens, they would have a vested interest in protecting the planet and to keep nuclear proliferation from expanding. Because every time a nuclear weapon goes off, it really rips the space-time, it, it, it literally rips a hole in space. It keeps going. It doesn't stop at our atmosphere. It keeps going. And I believe that any being in the universe would have a vested interest in keeping nuclear weapons from being launched. And I believe that was their plan. That's interesting. I'd never heard, I haven't heard that one before. I mean, I'm not a sort of JFK conspiracy guy, although I, I come across a lot of them. Uh, I mean, I accept that there was a conspiracy, i.e. that the, <laughs> the official narrative is not correct. Um, that's obvious to anybody. Like all the other official narratives we've had to endure for the last 60 years from that event. Um, it couldn't possibly well, if you, be. If you'd correct. like, if you'd like, I actually have a three minute and 36 second clip of what was supposedly on those index cards. Um, incidentally, the person that found those index cards that was going to write a book exposing yeah. the JFK assassination was shortly afterward dispatched, if you know what I mean. If you have a clip, Paul, and you want to play it, be my guest. Go on, go ahead. Certainly. Let's see. Let's see if this works. Let's see if my equipment is as good as yours. No, no. Well, I mean, you know, we're we're on a distance here, but let's see how it goes. I'm going to now read for you a the notes of a speech that was written by President John F. Kennedy which he was going to deliver in a televised address to the nation. That is, until he was assassinated on November 22, 1963. This is what he would have said. My fellow Americans, people of the world, today we set forth on a journey into a new era. One age, the childhood of mankind, is ending and another age is about to begin. The journey of which I speak is fully is full of unknowable We're kind of losing that point, unfortunately. Paul, can you hear me? So we've lost the clip. 
just to let you know, uh, which is a pity. But if you want to send it over to me, if you could send it to me, I could uh, I could play it from this end. We've lost most of that, unfortunately. It's not coming through. Okay, sorry about this, everyone. Steve, Paul, can you hear me okay? All of the struggles of the... Yes, yes, no, I can yeah, hear you. It's breaking uh, up like mad. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I I, no, it. I want to hear it. It sounds really good. Can we, so, we, we've got plenty of time left. We've got an hour and 20 minutes. That's a really interesting clip, and I would like to hear it. But coming from, it, we're, we're, just because of StreamYard, as you well know, um, I think we could, I've got some alternatives for this. I'll probably talk to you to get it set up for next week where we don't get this sort of thing going on. Um, is there any way you could get the clip over to me? How could you get it to me? I. Uh, Skype? Yes, there is. Could you Skype it to me? Um, I absolutely can. And cool. I'm in the process of doing that right now. Fantastic. Great. So, so we'll have that ready in a couple oh, of minutes. Yeah. I can also um, um, also share a little bit of something about the, um, the Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm just going to give the information on it and let people go do their own research. If you search YouTube for Rush Limbaugh's The Real Story of Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. it's a story that he would do every single year. And it talked about how the original... the original funders of the financiers of the trip to the New World had set certain conditions on how the colonies would be set up and that everything was to be of common ownership, that uh, everybody would have one share in everything. They'd have one share in the food, one share in the land, one share in the, in the, mer- in the mercantiles, uh, one share in the commodities. And it was an abysmal failure. It was the first attempt at socialism. And <laughs> the colonies did not survive until the head of the colony decided to scrap that whole idea and to give everyone an opportunity to give them one acre of land that they could do with whatever they pleased and that they could benefit from their own work. Because, of course, nobody wanted to work to support somebody that wasn't working. Yeah. And that's the failure of socialism. And it's the very first. So... uh, Long before Karl Marx, <laughs> long before before he was even a thought, and it didn't work until they actually instituted a capitalistic society where people could excel and people could benefit from their own efforts. That was the deal. Rush Limbaugh's The True Story of Thanksgiving, just... Punch it up on YouTube. It's about 24 minutes. It's 24 minutes well spent. That's Rush Limbaugh. And, yeah. Yep, Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're about um, 75% complete. That You'll have that video in Skype so very shortly. So we can All go right. on to something else until that shows up and you can punch it up. Yeah, well, the, you say that the Limbaugh thing is a video. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the the Limbaugh thing is a video that's on YouTube. 
you can just search YouTube. I can actually get you the link for that if I can punch it up. Okay. All I've right. Another, yeah, Brian. I've got another interesting one that showed up today on prepareforchange.net. And it was the story of a John Calhoun who was an animal behavioral scientist. And in 1972, he set up an experiment where he built this mouse city for mice for his experiment. And it had like uh, an area where the mice could get together and hang out. It had little apartments all over it with an indoor and an outdoor. And it was going to be mouse paradise. He wanted to see what would happen. So they had all the food and water that they could possibly use. He put eight male and eight female in this little mouse city. And before long, the population boomed to 2,200 mice. But then things started going haywire. The female mice started not caring about their offspring. They'd be moving their babies around. One would drop and they'd say, oh, hell with that one. The babies were dying off. Then some of the mice grouped together and had uh, basically uh, bouncers or, or people to watch over them. And then they would isolate themselves. They were like the oligarchs of the mouse community. They, they had all the space and they had guards to watch the doors to make sure no one got in. And uh, it, it ended up just completely collapsing. They, it, it started getting to the point where they just weren't reproducing and it wasn't due uh, due to a lack of space overall, it was the fact that you had these these elites took over. It was just hilarious to read. So if people want to get on there and look at it, it was really fascinating. So anyway. I've, I think I, I know what you're referring to. He, he was, I can't remember his name, but I remember reading a sort of very short um, narrative on it. He was out to create mouse heaven. That was yes. his... Yeah. And it turned into mouse hell because there was no, yeah. there were no predators. They lost the will to live. Really, I think it yeah. said that some of the mice became uh, monosexual, as it were. They were, uh, <laughs> they became gay yes. by today's thing. Nothing happy yeah, about them. Exactly. But that's yeah, what they, happened. Everything became colossally dysfunctional, and they were, they began to show signs of like psychological distress that they didn't understand what the purpose of their life was. And yes. there is this thing about struggle being, a, an, a, it's a, we're kind of repulsed by it, but it's almost as if struggle is an inherent uh, and vital ingredient in the way that we live. We've got to have something to push against. I mean, it's a bit like saying, well, we can get make everything perfect. I mean, it is a worry when you really sort of think about it. I know it sounds mad to say such a thing. I'm, I'm not for the presence of pointless violence, and we've got an awful lot of that and abuse, but Everybody has to get out of bed, don't they, on a the morning if they're going to have a good day and have some kind of little goal. I'm going to paint the front door. I've got to do this. There's got to be some task that needs to be achieved and done. And I think if that goes away, and you can see it going away with the sort of automation of life, they keep saying, this is going to be great. Of course, no, I'm not really bothered. I, You know, when I go out, I sometimes just try and argue uh, for going backwards. 
you know. And so when I'm talking to people, I say, well, we really don't, I don't want to pay for things with my card. I think we should be doing it with cash and it should be very slow. And I think you should have to count all the change out so that I get to talk to you for a minute whilst you're doing it. These things, the glue that makes life worth living. I mean, everybody thinks, well, we've got to make the economy more efficient all the time. And people have been trained like these mice. It's going to be great. Is it? When? When is it going to be great? You know, I I mentioned the point here before. We've got more gear, more stuff, more advanced things to make, apparently, the economy more efficient. And yet, both man and wife, if they've got this sort of thing, husband and wife, couples, both have to go out to work just to meet the mortgage to pay for the house. And the standard of living in terms of the quality of life is vastly reduced, although everybody, of course, is kept permanently uh, distracted courtesy of the television and the internet and all sorts of other things that are keeping them oh i'm black Fr- friday you know because there's got to go out and buy lots of stuff tomorrow because it's cheap so we better buy it that kind of thing yeah so maybe a mouse hell you know no doubt these things i read one out last week i think about rats i think it was the other week about the guy leaving if it wasn't last week it was the week before some scientists just leaving rats in bowls of water to see how long it took them to die and uh, it didn't yeah. take very long at all. Uh, I think so, it was about 15 minutes, wasn't was, it, or something? Yeah, that was awful. That was the know. hope experiment. That was right. That without, without hope, they, they gave up in 15 minutes. But after he had rescued them once, they had hoped that they would be rescued again, and they lasted 60 hours. There's a very special place in HE Double Toothpicks for that scientist, I'm just saying. That's horrible. I know, but is that us as well? Is it, you know, I often think about this. I think, well, you know, it's deemed as a curse, but it, I, we're very, we're highly adaptable. And it's, it is a blessing and it can be bad as well, you know, because we end up tolerating things or trying to contain situations for a long time. And yet, all that period of time whilst we're containing things, we're basically unhappy. Things are not working out well. And, um, right. you know, so. You know, if a, if a rat's 60 hours, maybe we're 60 years or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, we just keep hoping that it's all going to get better and better and better, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, rats and mice. I, I know the thing you've mentioned, Brian. I've got it kicking around somewhere. I saw it on yeah, Gab about six months ago and sent it off to loads of people. And it is quite – it showed you him with his big box of mice. I mean, it was like – and he'd yeah. done it three or four times, and it was the same result every single time. The colony could only last for X number of months. And then it just died out. They lost the will to even be a colony. Yeah. They just didn't know what the meaning of their life was as mice. So I, I guess maybe – yeah. yeah, his name was John Calhoun, and the that's it. The the homosexual mice were the elites. Okay, the elites were all, you know, uh, uh, cordoned off from everything, and then they they quit uh, reproducing too. So so it's funny how they are the ones that were pushing the LGBT agenda. It it just kind of fits behavior now in the physical for us. <laughs> well, that is good. I mean, I, th- I mean, what, what do I mean by good? Sorry, I said the wrong words. <laughs> what I mean is, yeah. isn't that, isn't that kind of maybe what the human structure's like? You know, you get this impression. I do. I get this impression here in England, right? We've had this sort of landed class for a long time. It's mature. It's buried right into the very strata of supposed national life. What's left of it, and they all go to boys' schools, and half of them end up becoming, you know, bent the other way. They just do. Um, and, uh, 
You see, life just must be very... I can't imagine what it's like because I've not had a life like that, and I don't really want to imagine it either. But when you're raised, a bit like these mice, where you don't have to do anything to get well-fed and everything, which is the case for these people, maybe this is just part of the psychological damage that they suffer. And, of course, it's then sent down to us. We have to deal with it all. You know, they're declaring war. They don't care. Just send a few hundred thousand men down that road. I don't care if they all get killed, you know, this kind of stuff. And there's uh, because they're bored. It's the welfare state. It's mm-hmm. the welfare state mentality, and the same thing occurred in the mice and the deterioration of the population, the LGBTQ mousy agenda, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way that they could expand their numbers was by recruitment, and they had absolutely no interest in families and offspring, and the colony just petered out. And yes, it's, it really I, is an issue, that, isn't it? No, ch- no know, babies, no point doing anything. Yeah, absolutely right. Right. Well, knowing what I know about the, the, the global elite and these guys, I mean, they sit in their gilded cages, if you want to call them that, in marble <laughs> halls. You do. And they, yeah. they, I do believe, conduct experiments on human beings. They conduct yeah. experiments. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder what would happen if we did this. Well, we can do that because we have the money and we have the control, and they can't say anything about it because they'll never know what's happening. We'll just use gradualism and see how everything shakes out in fifty years. I you know, think where you can really where you can really see that is. Have you ever heard of the uh, uh, Reese Dodd report before Congress in nineteen fifty three? Are you familiar the, with that one? Is this the one where Thank he you. sent his secretary off to inquire into the condition of, of the Ford Trusts and this and these foundations? Yeah. That's yep. the story, and right? She went, she went crazy. Yep. Okay. She had a nervous breakdown from it. But uh, I believe it was when they were talking to Geithner, who was the head of the Ford Foundation, and they were talking about those kind of things, uh, you know, the, the draft, how they could get what they wanted what would happen if we have the draft when she was looking through the past uh minutes of their meetings and and uh so yes they they absolutely do that when you can get in and look at their paperwork so you would have a nervous breakdown because it's it's basically attacking every sort of foundational thought and conviction you have that you've built your life on. She had a nervous breakdown, didn't she? The secretary, I yeah, think, she went she a bit. Did, yeah. She had to be given a break. He said, "You you can't do it." Because I I thought the the sentence I remember that came back from that was that when she was talking to the people at the Ford Foundation, they said the purpose of the foundation is to change American life such that the uh, that America and the communist state of Russia can be brought together as one entity it's to chew up american life such that it can be absorbed into a global communist grid which of course is extremely distressing when when you're going in the opposite direction well Uh, and it also it also shows something else because um it shows how they take over from within because henry ford had the dearborn telegraph which was basically an anti semitic you would call it newspaper where he was just anti-communist anti-everything well here's his foundation how many years later and it's been taken over by those people from within it's the same thing with hitler okay if you study things like uh 
the early SS, the Aragis Battalion in Estonia, Latvia, one of those countries, they were, it was a battalion that was, uh, uh, had the task of shadowing a communist group. And uh, they discovered them killing a young boy for human, for their sacrifice. And they, of course, executed him. And this, this uh, communist group said, we're, we're going to breed you out of existence. You know, your existence is going to be gone. I just, you know, went mm -hmm. on. And, and then later on, of course, uh, they're taken over. Okay, all the SS, whatever, they're taken over and then they've turned into something horrible. But originally they were good. You know, if you read everything about Hitler, his 25 point plan, how everything was early on, it was all good. But yep. they always they always infiltrate from within. And, uh, but I think also, I think you're right, Brian. I think there's also some kind of a blind spot that we go into as things are building. Um, something go, starts to decay. It's, you know, Spengler, when he wrote his thing about the decline and fall of the West, it was the first history where he was looking at things. He basically uh, viewed the life of nations as the life of a living animal, as a being, you know, that it, it has, it's born and it's moving around a bit and then it makes pals and then it grows and it gets strong and it goes through adolescence and then it suddenly gets really strong. And uh, basically, they go through these cycles all the time. I mean, the other one, of course, or, or one that I was that was mentioned to me a long time ago. This thing about obviously our history, the history of our race throughout Europe, is littered with wars and conflict between the tribes, the nations. It just is, and yet everything that's ever been taken by conquest always rolls back. It always rolls back. It goes back to where it's supposed to be, and yet these sort of conflicts uh, arise. You know, I was watching a little thing. I haven't talked about Napoleon today. The film came out uh, here yesterday, so I suppose it's going to be... We'll see. So I, if anybody uh, does see it, don't call in and do the spoilers. I want to know how it turns out. <laughs> I, of course, know exactly how it turns out. But um, I was um, doing a little bit of swatting up on it today, earlier today. And um, when, he gets, um, when he gets sent to Elba, the first sort of... Um, you know, incarceration, this island off the coast of Italy, or wherever it is in the Med, he uh, he transformed it. He turned it, he made it absolutely fantastic. They put him in charge of it. They said, you're not coming back, and that's that, right? And Elba's yours. Um, this is before the big bad time when they sent him to St. Helena right in the middle of the Atlantic, and that was the end of him. But he's, in, he's only in his 40s. I think he's about 44 when he, when he gets um, incarcerated, as it were, at Elba. And with inside a year, he got the place running brilliantly because he was a fantastic administrator. There's all this other side to him that's not really known. Um, and he got – this was the really telling thing that I was watching, and I've thought about this a lot with the people at the top, all of them. It said he got bored. I actually think that this is a key thing. They get bored. They go – you know, he's saying to himself – well, I was just running the whole of Europe recently. This is really, and I've sorted this out. This is nothing for somebody like me. And he was bored, you know. So I think that that's a key part. They interfere with things. They do things that are highly damaging to the rest of us because they've got bored. They don't seem to have any challenges left. I mean, maybe this is completely, you know, pub-level psychology. It probably is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I don't know any of those sorts of people, thankfully. I don't really want to. 
Um, but that that's kind of a part of it. Um, and I, as I've said, as I've mentioned here for the last few weeks, I think some people have written to me and said, they can't wait to see the film now. I'm going, well, I don't know what it's going to be like. But um, it opened here yesterday, and I just, I just couldn't get down. I haven't been to the cinema, by the way, for about five years for all sorts of reasons. I actually can't get out to a cinema these days. But I'm going to try and cut some time to go and see that one. So... Yes, interesting. Now, uh, where are we now, time-wise? We're at five, just gone five past nine in the UK. That means it's five past four US East Coast time. You're listening to Paul English Live here on WBN 324. I got into a bit of a panic just then because I thought the feed had dropped, but it hasn't. You don't need to do that. We're also going out over Eurofolk Radio. We're going out over Speak Free Radio. We might be going out over somewhere else as well, Paul. Mightn't we? Global Voice Network, possibly? Global Voice Network, yep. yes. Global Fantastic. Voice. This is a show that's a real tart. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. We're on Rumble. We're on Odyssey. I need to bolt everything on. And uh, we'll just keep pounding away on the technical side to keep doing those sorts of things. Now, now might be a good time to play this clip, Paul, that you sent over to me in Skype. Yeah? Just going back to the JFK theme. So I've got it here. Hopefully this should come through okay. Should we give it a run? I think we'll hear it this time. Here we go. I'm going to now read for you a, the notes of a speech that was written by President John F. Kennedy, which he was going to deliver in a televised address to the nation. That is, until he was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. This is what he would have said. My fellow Americans, people of the world, today we set forth on a journey into a new era. One age, the childhood of mankind, is ending, and another age is about to begin. The journey of which I speak is, fully, is full of unknowable challenges. But I believe that all of our yesterdays, all of the struggles of the past, have uniquely prepared our generations to prevail. Citizens of this earth, we are not alone. God in his infinite wisdom has seen fit to populate his universe with other beings, intelligent creatures such as ourselves. How can I state this with such authority? In the year 1947, our military forces recovered from the dry New Mexico desert the remains of an aircraft of unknown origin. Science soon determined that this vehicle came from the far reaches of space. Made contact with the crea creators of this spacecraft. I ask you not to greet it with undue fear or pessimism. I assure you as your president that these beings mean us no harm. Rather, they promise to help our nation overcome the common enemies, enemies of all mankind, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war. We have determined that they are not foes, but friends. Together with them, we can create a better world. I cannot tell you uh, that there will not be any stumbling or missteps along the road ahead. But I believe that we have found the true destiny of the people of this great land to lead the world into a glorious future. 
In the coming days, weeks, and months, you will learn more about these visitors, why they are here, and why our leaders have kept their presence a secret from you for so long. I ask you to look to the future, not with timidity, but with courage, because we can achieve in our time the ancient vis vision of peace on earth and prosperity for all humankind. God bless you. This speech was handwritten by the president on index cards that have only recently been discovered. Professor Lawrence Merrick of Cambridge, Massachusetts will be disclosing this speech in a new book entitled The Killing of the Messenger, The Death of JFK. And it's interesting to know, to note that there is not a physical copy of that book available anywhere. I well, have the looked. killing of the messenger. Friends of mine have thought the killing of the messenger. The killing of the one. messenger. Right. Yes, you cannot find that book anywhere. You can find a lot of uh, a lot of reports and stories and references to it, and I believe that those were copies, pre-release copies of the manuscript, and people started to pick it up and run with it. But the actual book, as far as I know, never went to print. Why? Why would mm. they, why would they, and <clears throat> taking out JFK, the day before he was supposed to go on national TV, informing the United States people that we were not going to have to pay taxes for every gallon of gasoline, we wouldn't need gasoline anymore, we would not have to be connected to a central power grid and pay, pay exorbitant light bills, you know, in the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter that we could put a stop to the disease and the, the illness that actually feeds the pharmaceutical companies and feeds the medical industrial complex, that there would be no more wars to feed the military industrial complex. There is everything, with, with every fiber of my being, I know that it would have been a complete end to the controlling elite and an end to the usurpation and harvesting of people and their their lives work their value mm -hmm. their their net worth it would have been an end to what we've dealt with since John F Kennedy and they couldn't have it happen no no well that book is um that book would be good to get hold of wouldn't it don't we need to get hold of that yes, book? I would. I've looked. I've looked. Friends of mine have looked. And <clears throat> one friend of mine, he's awesome. I mean, if there is anything between two pieces of the paper that has black and white, that's black and white, he can find it. I, he's. There's an, I you know, know you remind me this this search for books, and maybe we need to find a, uh, develop the great book searching organization to to hunt them out that one would be useful to get obviously uh the other one yes. that springs to mind which also is an american book is legions of the damned by uh williams i've forgotten his first name but he was uh part of the army that fought against cornwallis and was sat in on some of the negotiations and talks that cornwallis had after his defeat at wherever it was and of course, Cornwallis didn't seem to be completely nonplussed by the whole idea that apparently he'd been defeated, if you've seen those speeches from him. And Legions of the Damned is about the organized effort 
to effectively take things over from within. Of course, the whole founding of America, mm-hmm. there's a lot pointing to the idea that uh, Bacon had a great hand in it. It's difficult to know with Francis Bacon. Yes. I mean, he wrote the New Atlantis. You, you know, you are yeah, correct. Brian. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> Well, Sir Francis Bacon was Saint Germain, and uh, you were absolutely correct. He was uh, William Shakespeare, and uh, there's there's a church of Saint Germain here in Kansas City. And they used to have a radio program uh, once a week, and they would talk about all these kinds of things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the fact St. Germain was a mysterious man that was there when they were forming the Declaration of Independence because he gave them backbone, and that he was uh, William Shakespeare, and he was also... Uh, an advisor to Napoleon, and he told Napoleon, do not go into Russia, and Napoleon uh, did not take his advice, and look what happened. So, and people don't understand who Saint Germain is. I I could tell you, but it's pretty bizarre stuff. Well, he's like an avatar that reappears all the time throughout the timeline, isn't he? Something like that. Well, here's what the deal is. Um, There were Okay, Gaia, of course, is one of these Greek goddesses. You know, you you can see her when you see a rainbow. Well, there were actually 12 Greek gods and goddesses that actually existed. And um, what happened is they wanted to incarnate in human form. And in order to do that, their their light was too powerful. And so they broke themselves down 12,000 times. So uh, like Zeus broke his light down 12,000 times, and then there were 12,000 Zeuses running around in spirit form. Aphrodite, uh, I, I wrote down the names of them. And so the total 12 times 12,000 is 144,000. It, it's what the Bible was was originally talking about, but of course they they screwed all that up, and they're known as the essence of Saint Germain. So I I don't know how it works, but he he somehow associated with those uh, Greek gods and goddesses. And well, the only very way- nice, eh? Very nice to hang out with the Greek gods and goddesses. <laughs> No one's invited me. Have you ever had an invite? You, Paul, you ever got an invite to that? No. Well, you guys could be one of them, you know. I mean, you could I'm working on it, Brian. I'm working on it. Come on, we should all keep plugging away. You were talking about yeah. somebody that inspired or gave backbone to the revolutionaries, but there's a wonderful book by Tupasaucy, um about the Jesuits. And um, I've forgotten the title of it now. They're dark. <laughs> They're really bad, the Jesuits. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're really, really bad. And I'm drat, I can't remember the title. It's because someone's taken the copy of my book. They took it two years ago. Normally, I'd just swing around, look at the bookshelf, and go, there you go. And I've got it for you. But it's not there. Bloody hell. Anyway, um, it's about the Jesuit order. It's an astonishing book. It's uh, absolutely an amazing book. Very, Each page has got more information that you find in half a normal book. Incredible. But there, there was a character when they were there courage or whatever you want to call it was wilting a bit in philadelphia at some meeting and there is a story of an elderly man or a, a mature man at the back getting up and making a rousing speech which get which fortified them now what saucy yeah. says is that that the person that gave that speech is lorenzo ricky and ricky was 
Previously, the head, he was the Black Pope, he was the head of the Jesuit order, but prior to the Revolutionary War in 1776 or whatever, you know, when it started, I don't know how long it lasted, uh, the Jesuit order apparently got disbanded. Ricky said, oh, it's all over, we're finished, you know. So it was shut down. Was that miracle... Was that Miracle on Main Street? No, that's Rulers his first of one. Evil. Yeah, that's a fantastic book as well. You know, I, Blueprints I, of Mind Rulers Control. of Evil. There you go. It's just shot into my head. Rulers of Evil. Rulers of Evil. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, by Saucy. Tupper Saucy. He's no longer alive. But Saucy went on the... The whole story of how he wrote the book is amazing. Um, because it, because of the book you've just mentioned, Paul, uh, whatever it is, 34th Street thing, he basically was looking at his tax returns and went, I don't think I need to pay these. <laughs> uh-huh. And so he stopped paying them, and of course they got quite cross with him, so he literally went on the lamb. He went on the run for 20 years. 20 years. And he spent mo- and he could play piano, you know, to concert level standards. A very articulate man in all sorts of ways. If you've ever if you read the book, you'll understand you're dealing with a really refined and thoroughly detailed intellect. It's quite brilliant actually. It's a very I've given it the book to people they're going I can't read this. I'm going, "Yeah, you can. Get on with it, you know. It's just take your time." But um yeah. he he spent 20 years going into um research libraries digging around on the tax code. <laughs> How thrilling is that? Uh-huh. What are you going to do for the next 20 years? Oh, yes. I've, got to, I've got to find out about the tax code. But, of course, it's not the tax code he's really looking at. What he's looking at is why is everything bolted down like this? What is really going on? And um, the the introduction is quite brilliant because it starts off with his, his arraignment at some court in Florida, I think it is. He's fi- they finally caught him. He, he just he ran out of gas. So after 20 years on the run, they, they got him on some check or something, and they found out where he was. And so they brought him, and uh, he gets introduced to his attorney. And um, it, it turns out uh, there's an exchange that takes place to do with his brother, and they, went, they both went to a certain college, and he said, oh, you must know my brother. Uh, and it turns out that the guy he's talking to is a Jesuit and doesn't want to prosecute him because it's a conflict of interest. And he thought what's this all about? And this sends him off. Then researching rulers of evil. And you find out these astonishing things like, what is the statue that's on the top of the white, white, um, uh, the Capitol building? What's that big, there's a statue, there's a Roman statue on the top, it's a goddess, right, to this day. And, and you remember we were talking earlier about symbolic language and symbolism. He goes into that in a great deal to tell you all these things. And one of the arguments of the book, it's a thing to cogitate with, is this, is how does God constrain evil in the earth? What force does he use to constrain it, to limit it, to restrict it, to keep it at least in some semblance of check? What he uses is evil. He uses evil to constrain evil, and the deliverers of the evil are the Jesuits. (laughs) And he said... Basically, um, Saucy, I think at some point, is basically saying, this is a great idea. This is really good. (laughs) It's a very challenging book to read. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And, of course, you find out that half the popes were all uh, Borgias and things like that. They were basically all, um, you know, thugs, most of the popes. And... uh, Mm -hmm. Because they, but they under they they gravitate to where the power is, and of course it's like a sophisticated long line of the organising of plunder. Really, when you think about it, this is the parasitical plundering class, and uh, Saucy is detailing them. So the history of the popes is absolutely fascinating in the book, and I would recommend it to anyone. It is a seriously challenging read, which is good. 
So if you if you want to read a book that is full of detail and will slightly make your head spin as you go through each page, because I had that comment back from others, and I thought, oh, good, I'm not alone in that. Uh, someone's just posted a link. Sussex Man, thank you very much. So if you're in the Rumble chat, you can get a copy of that book um, on newensign.com. He's put a link to it there. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Sussex Man. Uh, I would suggest you go and get a, grab a copy. I mean, a physical copy is better. It's a wonderful book. It's, and you know who published it as well? Rupert Murdoch's book publishing company published it. And it was really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's basically having a go at the whole thing that brought Murdoch to power. <laughs> it's fantastic. I don't know how he got away with it. Um, but, um, yeah, that is a, it's a wondrous book. It's one of those books you go, hey, I don't think – it's one of those books that's truly unique. When you read it, you go, whoa, whoa, this is – it's like serious – analysis and research of the structures of power through the Jesuit order. Um, of course, the, the thing I've learned since I read that, and I read it about 15 years ago, is um, the Grey Pope. And I don't know, there's not too much written on him, but we got, we got to find out about him. He's in charge of the other two, apparently. <laughs> it doesn't end. Today. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. end. Yeah. Today it's Pepe Orsini of the yes. Orsini crime family that's right yeah those are the 13 black nobility families from uh babylon you know farnese and chiggy and i mean i could name them all conti and uh, eldo brandi it just goes on and on and they own the holy see they maybe one of them will call in brian maybe we can get one of them on the show (laughs) what do you think have anybody got their address you know, they want to turn up and tell them, what are you really doing with the world, you buggers? You know, let's, can we get to the bottom of it? But, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the those picture families. of him, he, re, he reminds me of uh, Joe Pe- Peschke and Goodfellas, the, the movie. You mm-hmm. know, if you've ever seen that movie, it's a great, you know, mafia movie. And he kind of looks like Joe Peschke and he's got his, his gold chains and his gold watch on. Uh, you can just tell they're all really dark, so... They are. Boy, are they dark. Who wrote wrote Legion of the Damned again? Surname Williams. Williams. So, uh, maybe, I can't remember the first name. Someone will out there. John? Paul? Something like that. Everybody else is called Paul, so he's probably called Paul, you know. Uh, Or Brian. Maybe he's Brian after you. I don't think it was Brian, actually. Um, Yeah. It's uh, Legion of the Damned. You'll find reference to it in articles, but will you find the damned book? I remember someone eight or ten years ago, 2014 or 15, was brought it to my attention then, and I went off and did a search when you could probably, have, if you had any chance of finding it, it would have been back then before they've constrained things and put things all over the place. But there may be somebody out there that's got a sort of online private PDF library that's got it, got a copy, but... It's almost like well, finding that book has become a challenge in itself. You know, you could write a book about finding the book. It's become that complicated, I think. There is uh, Legion of the Damned by Sven Hassel, and there is one <laughs> by William Dietz. Ah, well, it's neither of them. Legion of the Damned, yeah. the Good Shepherd. Mm. There, there's actually an entire Legion of the Damned series by William Dietz. Hmm. Right, it might be Legion. Of, is it or, Legion of the Dead? I can't remember. It's, it's, it's 
It, you'll find it. Oh, it put Williams. <laughs> you just, it is. It, I think it's damned. It must be. It must be really. It must be the damned. But if you type in sort of Cornwallis Williams, blah, 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 you'll come up with that speech from Cornwallis where he said, you know, you're going to wake up in your country and it's going to be fall under a completely different system to the one you think you're about to get. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, so lots of, lots of, Skullduggery. I mean, it's very, you know, from our point of view, thinking about these people 200 years ago with this level of structural sophistication, as it were, you know, I didn't know about any of this when I was a kid and a teenager. And you think, well, we're in, we've got cars now. We don't need to worry about any of that old stuff. But in fact, that old plotting and planning and skullduggery is everywhere. We're, we're unfortunately compelled to live in the shadow of it a lot of the time, aren't we? Um I don't do much news, you know, on this show at the moment because I get bored with the news cycle. But I've just heard today, maybe you have, that a guy called Gert Wilders has just won, just become the Dutch Prime Minister. Have you heard about this? Do you know about him? No. Hmm. Well, he's classified as an extreme right-wing nationalist. I'll believe that when I see it. Um, but he's made a lot of rather um, inflammatory speeches about the removal of... Uh, immigrants from Holland and places like this. So I haven't even had a chance. I just got an alert about an hour before we went on it, and I didn't have, even have a time to read it. Um, because following the news cycle is basically how much fear porn do you want to absorb today? Do you know what I mean? It, it's kind of like that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, And I find that if I leave it alone, I actually feel better, and I, I don't feel as though I'm doing any less work. I don't know whether we have to keep up to speed with every single mom- momentary fear induction that's placed into us. But... Uh, that's a story that's going to unfold. There have been all sorts of strange little things happening. I sense that they've, they've shifted tack in some kind of way in the public communication space and uh, that this is a sign of it. All these are the little odd things. And actually, speaking of odd things in the realm of politics, you've apparently got an election coming up next year. <laughs> of course, you didn't have one in 2020. You had something else. Are you going to go back to having one? I mean, this is going to be quite interesting, isn't it? So... Mm. Uh, there, there, there's no way of telling. There really no. isn't. I'm, I've, I've given up trying to anticipate it. You All know. you have to, you have to ask Mr. Dominion Voting Machine who he's going to allow <laughs> yeah. to uh, become president, and Dominion Voting right. is owned by the Nancy Pelosi family. <laughs> okay, so yeah. not, and, and I'm sure Gavin Newsom, her. Uh, nephew or whatever in california will be the democrat that they'll put in there because i think this is gavin newsom a man what is he he doesn't strike me as being a man he's a very odd sort of strange thing isn't he what is he he's he's a is he i don't know he's he's a pelosi that's that's bad enough right there (laughs) that's a really good insult i think you've just coined a new one brian to go into the lexicon of insults that's a bit pelosi (laughs) it's going to become really foul it'd be like a four-letter swear word so yeah i can see that yeah Yeah. time for a song let's have another little song this is a shorter one the the, the last one uh this is uh it's in a similar main because it's a fiddle player and my shout out goes to he knows who sent it somebody sent me this on the email the other day i haven't even listened actually that's not true i listened to a little bit of it and by the way i just like you to know i hardly ever listen to music like this the music that i'm playing in the shows is not the sort of stuff i sit around listening to but i just thought you know there's so much rock and stuff like that not that i'm against it but there is that i just keep a bit of counterpoint you know so this is called bodicea by a fiddle player here in the UK, I don't think he's any alive anymore, uh, called Dave Swarbrick. Here we go. (laughs) 
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views of the sector going to WBN324 Talk Radio. And welcome back. You're listening to Paul English Live every Thursday, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. here in the U.K. And uh, we're going to, as uh, the last blurb said on WBN324, we're also chugging out on Freefall Radio out of South Africa and uh, Global Voice Network and Speak Free Radio and Eurofolk Radio and Rumble and Odyssey and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. So we'll keep piling them on. So welcome back. We're into the last sort of half hour. I'm here with uh, Paul and Brian who had nothing else better to do on their Thanksgiving Thursday than rock up here and uh, have a really rather rambling and varied and hopping around sort of conversation, which I'm rather enjoying a lot, actually. I don't know quite where we're going to go to next. Um, Actually, there is a thing. I'm going to shift gear again. There was something I wanted to mention, and I might do a bit more on this in in subsequent weeks. Um, Money Tree Publishing have just brought out a book. Uh, It's a reprint of a book from some time ago. It's called The Myth of German Villainy. No? Yes? All quiet on the Western Front. I know a lot about Hitler. I know an awful lot about Hitler. Yeah, I can't get him on, unfortunately, Brian. I've no idea idea how we're going to get him on. It's a real (laughs) problem, isn't it? It would be very useful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, well, I do too, actually. Um, and it's not by—it's almost like these things, these pieces of knowledge weren't by choice. You just get drawn into these fields because you have to keep going down the line, don't you? And um, But yeah, this book, uh, The Myth of German Villainy, I can't really recommend it highly more enough or highly enough or whatever. I read it uh, in the first publication a few years ago. Benton Bradbury has uh, since then uh, shuffled off this mortal coil. Um, and but there was an interview conducted with him about 2015 or 16 uh, by Jim Rizzoli, um, which is really worth listening to. But the book itself is excellent because it's um, if you wanted to provide a lump of information to people who are probably slightly circumspect about, uh, i.e., that they've got the received narrative about Germany. This is this is a very good one to give them because it's very accessible he's not trying to pound the reader over the head with really strong declarative sentences it's like this it's like that it's not like that kind of a book he was in i think the u.s air force and he got stationed in germany and then he went back to germany or something like that and he was expecting to meet people that weren't that good because of the impression he'd got really from popular culture and he didn't meet those people he met really great people and he thought there's something not quite right here and so the whole it's a very it's like his personal journey into looking at the nature of the german people and to really discovering of course as you probably know everybody here many many listeners that the uh, the received story about national socialist germany and that period of history is of course like nearly all the other received histories complete bunk or almost complete bunk and it's usually you know the complete opposite so it's it's a wonderful book to give to people who are maybe just nibbling around the edges and that you don't want to hit with a sledgehammer to start off with it like tickles them into it it's very very good it's a very good introductionary book i think into into you know 
reviewing that period of history really with a more open mind. But uh, um, if you're not familiar with it, you're not familiar with it. Maybe some of the listeners are, I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, there's a I lot was able Hitler. to find... Yeah, I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to say that I was able to find the myth of German villainy. Now I just have to figure out a creative way to get it. <laughs> you go to moneytreepublishing.com and you buy a copy, Paul, if you want a hard copy. It's... Um, uh, I'm pushing it because I I just remember how much I like the sorry it's just my way of putting things but he was wasn't he because I think he, uh, he didn't he go all around that <laughs> are, part are of you Europe familiar with I'm sorry. yeah go on no Brian please speak Yeah, are you familiar with Hitler's uh, chauffeur and bodyguard, Emil Maurice? Uh, I know of him. him? Say something. Go on, fill us in. Bring us up to speed. He was. He was. He was. He was a a Jewish uh, uh, watchmaker. Okay, Mm -hmm. and he dated Hitler's niece, Geli Rabal. You can even find a picture of Gally Rabal online, and, and it's a little, you know, thing, note on there that she put to her lover, Emil Maurice. So if Hitler was so anti-Semitic and was killing all these Jews, why would you have your bodyguard who's carrying the weapons, uh, you know, watching you? You know, you'd think Emil Maurice would go to work one day and say, gee, my family went in the gas chambers last night. I think I'm mad, and I think I'm going to put a bullet in you. Okay, so it it just shows how things do not make sense when with what they give us. No, uh, and you, you know uh, Admiral Canaris, who was in charge of the Abvar, he was a Greek Jew. Okay, there were a lot of the top Nazis were Jewish. Milch was and, another one. Yeah. Yes, and mm. Auschwitz. Okay, Auschwitz Birkenau was owned by the Warburg family. Okay, you can find that information on Veterans Today, uh, you know, online, and there's a book on it. So if if this was such a terrible thing that was going on, why didn't the Jews go to the Warburgs and say, gee, all of our people are going up in these gas chambers and Auschwitz and whatnot. Can you shut it down? So it, it just, uh, and then... The reason those camps are there anyway, and and they won't tell you, and you can find Bernard Fay, F-A-Y, on uh, Henry Macau. He was tasked with going through the, the, like France, and looking at the Freemasons, okay? And they went into their books and saw all the crap they were going. A lot of the people in those camps were Freemasons and their families paying for their crimes. You know, Hitler really really i mean we need someone like that today our fema camps would be full of them so well he shut all the lodges down didn't he he shut the lodges down no one talks i mean we we don't get much on that in the newspaper reports because the influence of freemasonry runs through the media organizations as well but he shut them down and rightly so they're a subversive organization let's put it mildly you know yeah they put bernard fay on trial the Freemason judges after the war. So, 
And then you get pictures like, oh, they like to show that picture of Nordhausen concentration camp where, where there's all these bodies laid out between the buildings. And if you look closely, you'll see that the buildings have been bombed the night before that camp, which was for the sick uh, in, the, in the camps, uh, got bombed by the British and strafed. So in the morning, they took the bodies out and put them out in the middle of the camp. And then, of course, they, the, fill, or the caption below the photograph says, oh, look what those Nazis did. But it was the British that did it. So, I know. You know, it just goes on and on. <laughs> I know. I mean, that, yeah, it does. It really does. I mean, one of the things in this little um, Napoleon vignette, and I've mentioned it here before a few weeks ago, the parallels really between Napoleon and Hitler are quite striking. It's the, the, <laughs> the strong leader seeking to pull his country out of a system that is not beneficial to them. I mean, obviously, I mean, the whole thing with the French Revolution, which I've not touched on for a few weeks, but I will get back to it. We'll I'll cover a bit more before the year's out here. Uh, I've been covering this book by Nestor Webster, The French Revolution, which I'm going to continue to recommend because it's excellent. Uh, and, and for all sorts of reasons which are not particularly obvious before you start reading it, the main one, of course, is that it takes an awful lot to get people to really revolt. In fact, it's thoroughly organised from top to bottom by agent provocateurs. The people themselves would never do such a thing. And, and I think this is typical really up and down history. We We just want, you know, to get on and do certain things and and uh, we're not really too much into March revolutions and that kind of stuff, you know. So, um, you okay, Brian? You all right there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I had a phone call come in. That's all right. It's the, the pizza's on its way. I know what's going on. Don't worry. So, um, yeah. and um, <laughs> Actually, it's totally different. I know. I, I just I like making stuff up. <laughs> I do psychic work, and I get all these people that call and need psychic, you know, readings and all that kind of stuff. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but I think the parallels really between Napoleon and Hitler are, are, are very striking because of these reasons. And uh, both were tremendous. You see, the things that they were trying to do was really make their country strong. I mean, this is resented by all the other countries around them. And I guess this is a repeat pattern over and over again. Um that they don't want upstarts shaking this established order, and it's very established. It's, it's millennia old. It's kind of a, it's just this habitual way of controlling and managing people, as we've been talking about here, you know, with all these different aspects to it tonight. Um, so yeah, where you can really, where you can really see it is if you study Stalin's show trials from the thirties, thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight. They don't tell you the truth about Stalin either. Uh, you used to be able to get the transcripts of those show trials online. And that was an eye opener for me because the opening statement of the prosecutor and, and the show trial concerning the Holodorm and Ukraine said, this is uh, Comrade Kaliganovich or whatever. He's an agent of the city of London, and he's responsible for the starvation in Ukraine. And all the show trials started out that way. And what had happened was uh, Stalin had taken over from, you know, Trotsky. Trotsky was, you know, his wife was, or whatever, was a Rothschild. He was part of the Rothschild banking establishment. And he he put those people on trial and executed them. And so that's why you had so many of those people that died in the, in the uh, 
Stalin uh, show trials, but they make him sound like he's horrible. But if and then well, there's he was other pretty stuff. bad. He was pretty bad, but well, there were pretty bad no, times for everyone, weren't they? They were bad see, for everyone. That's the deep state at work. Every nation has a deep state. And and Stalin had a deep state, and he was fighting his deep state. And that's why every country ends up against Napoleon, against Kennedy. Uh, it's because you're looking at their deep state. You can even see it today. If you look at Obama, do you think Obama planned and executed the, the war against uh, Gaddafi in Libya or you look at Bush with Iraq. It's our I, I don't think Obama could plan and execute a business plan for a tobacconist shop. I mean, I just think exactly. he's a. I think he's hilarious. And I, people would call me up and say he speaks really well. I'm going. What are you talking about? He's a joke. I mean, to, to me, he just struck me instantaneously as a goofy actor, full of all this sort of studied way of speaking, and people fell for it. I'm just going, oh my giddy aunt. But what the point you're making, Brian, is a good one. I think I've mentioned it in a different way, just in a general where it's just a thought that i've had if good people come along how do we is it possible to protect them in their life against this that we're talking about i don't know how you do that um how do you do that it's as if it's always the the courtiers that are plotting against the king this is nothing new this has gone on <laughs> all the time yes. they're so close to the power they can almost touch it and smell it and so they want it for themselves and if they can't have it they want to make sure that the king has a rotten time with it so that people rise up against him and they might just pick a bit of it up you know and then then it'll all be great if i'm in charge it's all going to turn out good so oh, yeah. yeah this is this happens over and over again and it's not necessarily external enemies it's internal people that turn as they go through their life you know they they go rotten, and you know Lord Acton's thing: power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Tends to hold true, like all the time, you yes. know, all the time. Yeah. Well, I know that that Obama was groomed to be in the position that he was in, and I'm sure that ninety percent of the listeners are saying, "Duh!" Yeah. But I, I just couldn't stand to listen to him speak because he's spoken broken speech. And if you really looked at it, I mean, I've, I've dabbled with neurolinguistic programming and studied it when I was much younger. Mm -hmm. But he uses NLP structuring in his speeches. And the sheeple, and I'm going to call them sheeple, they are completely mesmerized by him. It doesn't matter what he was saying. He could say that the the sun is blue and the sky is orange, and they would believe him. It's yes. ridiculous. He became yeah, the master of the artificial and bogusly constructed dramatic pause. That's why I used to laugh at him and going, this is so, like, so tense, right? Is this it? But then you see that it works. That's the bit there where people like us get very upset. I got very upset exactly. over the COVID thing. I'm sure, surely people are going to see through this. Oh, my giddy aunt, they can't. Oh, no. That was, I, seriously, that, that was a big yeah. deal for me. It really was. That's that exactly was, why the dramatic pause is there. Excuse me. One moment, Brian. Let me get this point yeah, out. Yeah, that's good. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the reason that the dramatic pause is in there is you say a few words and then you pause. And then it causes the listener to switch their gears from listening to processing. And then while they're processing what you just said, you're saying something else. And the, and the subconscious is always playing catch up. It's always catching you off guard. Mm -hmm. And you don't actually have an opportunity to grasp 
the whole and entirety of the speech. And that is why they do that. That is why they they speak in broken sentences. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I just had to get that out. That's good. Good point, Paul. Evidence that that was a Shabbatian Frankus family because his mother, Stanley, who would name their daughter Stanley Durham, uh, their family was from Kansas City area and owned Armor Meatpacking. And her, her father was CIA, and he brought his teenage daughter to Frank Marshall in Hawaii and said, here, have sex with her. And that's how Barack came about. And that's a sign of a Shabbatian Frankus because they're always screwing around with their underage daughters. So it makes you wonder when he started with uh, his daughter and then to pollute the DNA with, you know, black on white. And you can see with Biden, because there's that diary of his daughter where she had to avoid showering. She would shower at three o'clock in the morning to avoid her daddy. So that's all Shabbat and Frankia stuff. They're all into pedophilia with their severely underage girls. Mm-hmm. So anyway. yeah, I don't, I, I don't believe for a second that uh, Barack Obama's kids are actually his kids. No, I don't believe not. it for a moment. Yeah. They're, they're no. not. They're, <laughs> no. There's a, no, it's all very picture, silly. It's all very silly. There's a, there's a picture on the internet of. Barack Obama's daughter, supposed daughter, with uh, Hunter Biden out of his laptop or whatever, and she's got a yep. birthmark on her leg that is the same birthmark on on the Obama daughter. Yeah, so yeah, yeah they're they're friends of Obama's. Yeah, so you're right, and they resemble these friends of Obama's that you know the the true parents. The one daughter looks like the dad, and the other daughter looks like the mother, and they are close uh, to Obama's. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and you mustn't you, you mustn't forget the brain farts in the Obama speeches when he referred to Michael. Yeah. Yes, that was fun, wasn't it? Wasn't that fun? Hey, there's been there's been quite a few comments coming in on the um, on the Rumble chat, and I just wanted to go through a couple of. Um, uh, someone mentioned the thing about JFK also trying to release the UFO files. Uh, if you were listening a bit earlier, there was a speech about that, which would have really uh, messed up the banker agenda. Do you see what I did there, commenter? I didn't use that filthy word, which was shocking. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone and uh, XO writes, uh, same comment, uh, uh, were there links between Masonic lodges and the Jewish agenda? Well, yeah, uh, because uh, Masonry is effectively Kabbalistic Judaism for the, for the non-Jew. Uh, all of the rituals and uh, uh, all the jiggery pokery within masonry is derived entirely from Kabbalistic Judaism uh, doctrines and stuff like that. So it's a way of uh, luring people into a thing that they think is for them, but there's other controlling forces at work. And of course, I think, not that I'm a mason and not that I ever will be, um, but um, I think beyond the 33rd degree, you know, they love all this stuff, don't they? And putting their medals on yes. and all this kind of stuff. They're just completely sad 
but dangerous and clever and cunning and evil and got a lot of power, but they're still sad because of it, because it's just a, a, a nuts sort of agenda they've got. Um, if, if I could interject one yeah, point sure, about Masons, I think, I think that there is a longstanding history of evil that has embarked upon this planet, and they delight in taking what is benevolent and what is fruitful and turning it for evil purposes. And uh, I think the Masons is just another example. I don't think they started out evil. Um, I think they started out as a gentleman's club, a, a, a gathering mm. of powerful people working yep. together and building building big, magnificent things. And we talked about this on, uh, was it last show or the show before last, on how architecture has gone completely in the dumper. I mean, we've, we have beautiful buildings like in the... Um, Oh, the mud flood period and, and things like that. Tartaria. Yeah. Uh, we've got beautiful buildings, and now they're creating cement boxes. And if they have chrome and glass, oh, it's so pretty. Okay, well, they've gone completely off the rails. And I think that's just one other example of a benevolent organization that has been usurped and turned dark. You're, you're absolutely right. And the proof of that is a letter in the National Archive in Washington that uh, George Washington wrote in the 1780s to someone. And he's, he's bemoaning the fact, he said, what is happening to our Freemasons? The, the Freemasons that he knew were suddenly being infiltrated from within and being destroyed like they do because the Freemasons, when they were good, were really instrumental in the Revolutionary War. They had a, a really well-oiled intelligence operation and they were able to get a lot of intelligence on British uh, you know, plans and troop movements. And well, I, don't, I don't think I don't think I'm very impressed with that comment, Brian. As a Brit, of course, I think it was a big mistake for you. <laughs> it's a big mistake for you to fight against the king. He, he might have been a bit silly, but you know. But the thing, you know, the passing of the the passing of the policies that caused it, or that that were given as the causative reasons, is all part. It was intentional, of course. The whole thing was to do that. There was no reason for it to happen at all. Except somebody had a reason right. for it. They they obviously, you know, I mean, there are good aspects of the so-called British Empire, you know, but as I've mentioned before, there really wasn't such a thing in the sense that there was never an empire by, of, or for the benefit of the British people. Just like the American Empire has not been, has not had your welfare at its heart. You can see that now because it's been taken away. It's not important. And of course, all of these arguments that they put to us are ludicrous. We've got more capacity mm -hmm. to produce more stuff than we've ever had before. We could get organized. We could remove an awful lot of trouble. There will always be trouble in the world, but not at this scale, not at this level of manipulation. And, you know, the language stuff is key. You were talking about it there, Paul, specifically in NLP terms, in, in you know, with regards to Obama and, and his hilarious way of speaking, which works, you know. But I, I know about NLP too, so I, anchors and plug, all this kind of stuff. You just go, come on. Stop it. <laughs> just give it up. Yeah. You know, I just sort of laugh. Because cut that out. It's really irritating. And um, But most people don't know what's going on, so they get bewildered. And, of course, that communications approach is where the leaders have always had the edge. And they still have it today in terms of scale because they've been sharing notes for centuries about how to control us. 
I mean, I mentioned here before, I think a few weeks ago, and I haven't even got around to covering this. Someone actually wrote in the thing, what's the difference between sort of a revolution and people uprising? Well, it's a good question, actually. Most revolutions, including the English one, the English Civil War, which kind of kicked this whole era off of breaking things up, they're all organised. But there was the one I've mentioned over here in 1381, which is the Peasants' Revolt, which is a genuine one. That really was the peasants picking up there, just doing it. They just did it, you know, with the limited organisations that they had. It's a long time ago, 1381. And, um, uh, but that was a genuine uprising. And uh, it didn't turn out too good for the peasants, of course, in the end, because they were dealing with a, an organised force that will not relinquish power. Come what may, they're going to kill you. They don't have a problem with that, because, you know, we're That's just right. sort of... They're just going to do that. And you and I won't do that, because we... We're obedient to a higher God uh, than some bloke pretending to be God with a wig on in a courtroom. You can kiss that goodbye. <laughs> yeah, they're just okay. weird. I, I mean, they're just... You know, anyway, whatever. From our perspective, it's, it's a very strange thing. Listen, we're down to the last couple of minutes. Um, it's been great having you here on Thanksgiving Day. It's been a rambling, moving around all over the shop sort of show, which I've quite liked, actually. And I had loads of things prepared. And I, I always over-prepare. I've got about six more items. I'm going... I probably don't need so many, but it's been great you waiting in. Any sort of last parting shots before we, we all sign out here and say goodbye? I think everybody should send you a note saying, I think the Slapdash Radio Hour sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what Paul's referring to is uh, uh, I'm trying to do another show called the Slapdash Radio Hour, maybe on a Sunday, which would be even more rambunctious and free-roaming than this. Um, well, so there's the outro. Brian, do you want to say anything before we all say goodbye? Well, I, no, I'm, I've got to make a phone call. So thank you. It was a great show. I really enjoyed it. So. Great. Fantastic. Thank Extra you, toppings okay. on the pizza, Brian. I know what it's all about. You're not fooling anyone. So uh, <laughs> okay. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good rest of the day. All Thanks, right. everyone, for being with us here. Uh, we've covered JFK, World War II, Napo everything. We've covered everything just about, the Jesuits, a lot, but only in a light touch way. We can go into more detail. I'd just like to give another shout-out for that book, uh, The Myth of German Villainy by Benton Bradbury. It is an excellent book, and I'm going to be rereading it again, I think, in the next few weeks. In fact, it might be my Christmas period read. Um, till then, uh, we'll be back. I'll be back here next week, of course, probably with Paul. Maybe Brian will rock up, and maybe you can rock up as well. So don't feel shy about coming in and disturbing us with all sorts of comments. Thanks for everyone in the chat. We'll see you all next week. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you.